A word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling choicey adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us at this moment. We have read all the way up until part three. So we're, we're finishing at the end of part two of book two of the Red Rising Saga, Golden Sun by Pierce Brown. Hey there, this is Cross. And I'm PJ. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. Think of us as your drunk weekly book club. I see what you've got in the notes, <laughs> and I'm going to leave that for last. So I'm going to talk about what I've got first. I've got what's known as the Sweet 16 with a little bit of a substitution. So it's two ounces of gin, the juice of half of a lime, two dashes of grenadine, one teaspoon of simple syrup, and then it calls for bitter lemon to top it off. We know that bitter lemon is basically just kind of smushed up lemons with some sugar. I didn't have that, and I didn't want to make it, so I just put lemon juice and some grapefruit bitters and then a little (laughs) bit extra simple syrup. How is it? It's delicious. It's really good, but garnished with a lemon peel. I've got a picture of it. It's a nice... Bright pink color, which is kind of fun. And I'm following that up with a beer from Modest with a collaboration with Drecker called Death Sauce, which is a sour from them. It is a painkiller tiki sour with barley, wheat, milk sugar, pineapple, orange, coconut, brown sugar, coffee, nutmeg, and vanilla bean. So it is a little bit of everything. And I'm excited to sip on that after this drink is... Well, it's already like two-thirds gone because we've been prepping a little bit and I've been drinking it. So with that, Cross, let's get into the abomination that you have on the page in front of me here. (laughs) Okay, first I'm going to talk about beer, then we'll talk about the the drink. So uh, in classic fashion, I'm having something that's very basic down here in North Carolina, uh, Southern Tier Brewing Co., double IPA. Um, It's pretty straightforward. It's very good. It's tasty. It's 8%. It drinks very cleanly. It's inexpensive. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's it's just a solid beer. If I remember correctly, more of a West Coast style, pretty wide distribution, correct? Yep. Yep. It's from New York. They've definitely got wide distribution. They're available in most places, but it's tasty. It's consistent. Uh, Good. You know, typical, typical beer. Following that up, I have a very atypical drink. So it's the holidays, PJ, and it would be sacrilege for us not to have some form of a holiday beverage. And I'm actually a big fan of eggnog, but I generally don't like alcohol-based eggnogs at all. Like, I just like the plain shit. No, nothing else. I'm with you, and I'm the only one in my family that drinks eggnog. (laughs) So I figured I'd try and experiment a little bit. This is completely original. Didn't look it up. I was like, all right, let's take the normal portions of an eggnog drink. And normally, you have holiday spices, right? You you spice it up with, like, nutmeg, cinnamon, cardamom. You you could use any of those to kind of, like, create the, the holiday spice warmth. Instead, I used smoked jalapeno powder and diced up jalapenos inside to garnish. And it's what's, really what's the name? Good. What's the name of the drink that you put on there? Oh, uh, jalapeno eggnoggin is uh, is my drink name. <laughs> I genuinely kind of want to try it. It's actually really good. Yeah, it does. It sounds good. But yeah, white rum, phenomenal local rum here. Uh, that's that's great. Uh, called End of Days. 
of North Carolina. It's a very tasty vanilla heavy rum. Most alcoholic eggnogs generally have you also substitute amaretto or also in like some vanilla extract or things like that. And this kind of hits all of those notes at once. But also the spice is a lot better. Yeah, Yeah. that that sounds like something I'm going to try. (laughs) Genuinely. That's uh, that's my drinks. I actually... I'm going to add a little thing here. Two nights ago, mm-hmm. we had a little bit of a date night in, and I made some cocktails that I felt like were pretty, we. so I took pictures of them. We, as in me and <laughs> my significant other. So you just I, made it I, sound like we were dating for a second. Then. Well, I mean, if you were here, I would have made you one too. But uh, okay. anyway, I think in just kind of off the off the wall, if I make a cocktail that I think looks nice and tastes good... I'm probably, I'm definitely going to tweet it out, which I did, but I think I'll probably just throw it on the website anyway. So we, we have tags on the website for like what episode each drink is featured in, but um, those will just lack those tags and maybe they'll show up later because they were really good. Yeah. Some of my drinks have multiple episode tags and one of your drinks has multiple episode tags. So it, you mm-hmm. know, it's just a factor of reality that we'll probably double up on some of the things that we like over time. Right. But it's cool to have extra drinks that people can go ahead and try. Yeah. I'm in. So let's get into last week's predictions. This is our quick lightning round of things to go through. We did decide that we are going to have some carry forward. We'll talk about the carry forwards from previous episodes when they're answered. So if you're following along with us, eventually we'll answer the predictions that PJ has made over time. <laughs> if uh, if they're if they're not listened to. So we had a couple that were skipped, but from an episode ago, we had, how do you think the Suns will react to Darrow's choice not to bomb the gala? And PJ said poorly, but some will still kind of take it positively. Well, because he still like made a good, he, he made a good move out of it and still made forward progress in his goals. Right, right. So we're going to call this one a push. It wasn't really the Suns pushing him to do it in the first place. So it's <sighs> moving on to the next one. I'm so worked up right now. <laughs> I'm so frustrated. <laughs> so uh, the second question, what is to be done about Tactus? And you said Darrow is on the hunt for him now. And that was incorrect. That was incorrect. Uh, so you get to drink, motherfucker drink. Yep. And uh, those are the only two that we get to talk about today. <laughs> so that's, that's it. Um, which is hilarious. No, I'm not going to get over that for a second. <laughs> glad, oh. glad we punished you today. Yep. Mm. Oh, right. man. You, you really fucked me up right there. Oh, no. Mm. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> it's such a bad time. <clears throat> Back mm. at it. So with that, let's get into chapters 28 through 24. So the first chapter we have to talk about is Helldiver, which we speculated on last week being about diving out of the ship. Mm-hmm. And it, that was true. Yeah, it was It was supposed to be after Tactus, but this is this is a bit of a different dive. Huh? No, I'm totally cool with it, though. This was fucking sick. <laughs> yeah. So it, we've talked about this a little bit, you know, in kind of our before show prep. But this section is hard to do justice in summary because... This entire section has like three incredible back-to-back action sequences that are really unparalleled. Yeah. And, oh God, it's so cool. It's just so cool. And I want nothing more than to see it adapted to film right now. Like, I want to live (laughs) it. I want to see it. I want to experience it. It's nuts. It's definitely 
a crazy move. It's something that's been, you know, like hinted at from the very beginning. But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's let's like talk about talk about everything else that happened, too, because that's important. So Dara doesn't jump, but we do get to meet a blue here that's, you know, kind of cold and calculating. And I find the dialogue of the blues, especially later, like very very interesting i really like every time i hear the blues talking because it is so calculated and so like strictly logic driven and in situations where there's not a whole lot of logic that applies it's strictly like maximum survival percentage based like it's it's computational and logical and cold but for good reason it's cool to see that play out in dialogue there, there's obviously a line here that I want to talk about because it's from a galaxy far, far away. But it's it's really funny because it does kind of harken back to like, I don't know, like the, 3PO kind of like making predictions, right? Like off the wall stuff. He's cutting off the blue who says like, if you do that, you're going to never tell me the odds. Just do it. Yep. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's a little off the nose, but it's great. But, he, you know, he kind of gets away with it because it, it fits like it's probably something you would say. Darrow doesn't know about Star Wars. No one knows about Star Wars here. This is a, someone else's fictional Star Wars. You don't you know? know that. Well, I think where does it say that Star Wars doesn't exist in this fictional? Universe? Yeah, that's a fair point because, you know, Ender exists. So yeah. in this there universe, is that canon? I think it was. <laughs> or was that dialogue or was that strictly uh description i can't remember it, it was dialogue it was dialogue it was dialogue okay yep. he, was, yes. he was listing off commanders alexander etc ended with wigan yep. it's interesting it's cold you know the blues are i think a very interesting class where they do have a distinct dialogue that makes them feel separate and we get a little bit more on that later too especially during the like choosing the captain scene which i think is interesting mm-hmm. the blue is very clear that this is a bad idea to even go anywhere near the vanguard which is a former ship of the Ash Lords gifted to the Julii's for betraying House in Augustus. In the process of being, in the yeah. process of being gifted to the Julii's. Yes, yes, it quite, hasn't quite made it there yet, but it's on its way. Mm-hmm. It it never makes it, but it tried. Want to talk about star shells? Oh yes, I want to talk about star shells. <laughs> oh, star shells are some of the coolest shit ever described in fiction. Hmm. So it still has some of the like physics problems that I have with Iron Man in that like there's no there's no way to decelerate the inhabitant without them turning to jelly when they when they land on something but holy shit was this a cool was this a cool experience Yeah I think generally that's the purpose of the shell right and that's why they're they're like star shells not only are they a like mechanized suit that mm-hmm. they're hopping into. But in addition, they have an intentional coating and mass that sheds itself over time in the atmosphere to slow them down. Right. However, in space, that's not happening. No, <laughs> it's mostly just a bumper, like a really aggressive bumper car. <laughs> that's a good way to look at it. <laughs> an armor piercing bumper car. yeah a a giant human bullet like (laughs) it's it's so cool you know they load themselves into the spit spit tubes which are interesting star cell latches into a thousand tooth like magnetic hooks you know click into place and his you know his teeth are chattering i love the line where his like heart sticks on the downward beat as he's like fired out of this thing because it just like stays there open the valve open a little bit longer than it should as he's in the process of telling Severo to suck his dick <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just it's it's great 
it's yeah. great. It's wonderful. Um, getting um, getting back. So to, I, I do have a question about that. Though. Yeah, fire. Knowing that nobody because because of what was talked about at the academy, nobody had even thought about firing at a ship before. Mm-hmm. Why does this mechanism exist? Is it to fire onto a planet, like as a as a like an almost an ODST style drop trooper? So I don't know that it ever gets so explicit as to say that, but that is kind of the the comment that is made in reference to the coating stripping away through the atmosphere, mm-hmm. um, meant for like atmospheric deployment. And so, yes, I think it's the answer. We don't really get like a. Um, a term for what that is or what that type of trooper is. It's just that a star shell would be used. So I would, I would use like a star shell trooper pretty, I mean, not directly synonymously, but like similar to most drop troopers, but a giant fucking robot dude in, in the halo lore ODST stands for orbital drop shock trooper. Correct. So that's essentially what they're doing is dropping from a ship in orbit onto a planet. Yep. And that seems to be what this is for, but that sort of that cannon like mechanism that they load themselves into doesn't really feel like it makes sense with that. It would it would make more sense to have almost like a an airlock that just kind of opens and they fall out of it. Yeah, I I think there's some other elements here that will be explained later. Okay. I think we'll get better answers, but I do I understand am, why I you am have questions. I'm fine with that answer. Yeah. I, I understand why you have questions, but there are most certainly answers that will be okay. coming All eventually. Right. Uh, yeah, cool. but yeah, definitely. So it is aimed to be like just a deploy to the ground kind of a thing. Shoot directly at the ground. Uh, ground troops deployment. Their star shells are also specifically a mechanized suit. So you can imagine that there might be space for other types of soldiers and other types of drop options. Mm-hmm. But star shells are a very specific mech suit it's kind of like a double person (laughs) (laughs) if you took if you took a person (laughs) and and squared them (laughs) that's what it would be yes it is a double person yeah because he's later later in the chapter severo is standing like several heads above other golds you know like and severo is fucking small so right I think it's to say, like, it's several feet mm-hmm. of additional height. Double person. Double uh, person. <laughs> Severo's jokes as well. I love they're all, the fact that they're all in Latin and Darrow's interpreting them. Like, <laughs> just yep. a bunch of Latin jokes. And then, you know, he disappears in the spit tube, obviously, which is great. Before mm. we move on from the spit tube bit almost into the next section, into the next chapter entirely... Victor stealing a kiss before Darrow and Severo are launched into the bridge of a ship is interesting. Uh, interesting, yes. I think the most interesting part is the fact that Darrow didn't pull away. I'm not necessarily surprised that Victra stole a kiss. It's, it seems totally her MO. But the fact that he didn't pull away with sort of the reason being that he's pretty likely to die right now. Um... <laughs> It's like, I'm probably dead just launching out of this thing. I think it definitely makes some more complications going forward. And we see those complications come to light later on. 
which we'll get to, I'm sure, after the stork opens up and they're all, after all the dust is settled. <laughs> yeah, after the giant massive battle for the ship happens. Yep. And other things. True. It's a good, like, 20-page section where you're just like, I don't want to, I don't want to stop. Can this keep going? It's dense. Man, like, all right, think about this as a TV show. Like, I want to, I want to keep coming to this because I love thinking about the adaptation and how it might look. I think those, what, 20 pages, whatever it is, could be several episodes of a TV show in a series or in a, in a season. There's so much that could be fleshed out and, and made into like essentially one or two episodes that are strictly action scenes. Yeah. There's the choice with Tactus in the last chapter jumping out following, you know, the like abduction. So you'd start at like the Pelican taking off, you know, from the last episode, maybe with the death of Quinn. Well, the near death of Quinn and the episode there, pick it back up with her struggling. Yeah. See, see Tactus jump out the back, see Darrow freak out, get pissed off and launch themselves into the deck. See all the golds and obsidians scatter as they like start cleaning up the deck and then end that episode with his speech. Start the next one post speech rebellion into Ragnar into uh, shooting down the other ships into the stork landing. Like, and that's two episodes. It's, too damn good. Like, in all honesty, this this like 60 page section is some of my favorite chunks of this book, and it gets better. It just keeps getting better. That's sort of the nature of the story for some reason. I don't know how he pulled it off, but it just keeps getting crazier. Mm-hmm. So um, I particularly love the end of this section, and I think that this lends itself to that visualization that you're talking about. Blues scatter, obsidians pull their weapons, two golds done, breathing masks and unfurl razors readying for the kill. The second before we hit, I shoot my pulse cannon. Thumps on the thick glass, I shoot again and again and again, then I curl into a ball and smash into the thick bridge glass with the full velocity of my launch, as well as the last second burst from my thruster boots. Out of me roars a madman scream. And then the next chapter literally opens with him actually crashing through in like one of the best sentences ever written. I explode through the bridge like a ball of lead shot into a store of china and glass. Mm. It's just... uh. And then at the very end of that paragraph, he groans something about his ass. Maybe he did shit himself. (laughs) So that first line gets us into chapter 21, which is amazing. Titled Stains. And man, is there a lot to talk about here. So obviously they launch in. uh, The fucking front door is open. So all of the people start flying out. You know, (laughs) it's just. Yeah. Bye. Bye, dudes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he, he has this moment of reflection on 187, which is either way, the blues and oranges and golds fly screaming into space. The obsidians go silently. Not that it matters. Space makes all silent in the end. Ooh. Ooh. I mean, yeah. And also, I I want Nietzsche's sort of take here. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it is so nihilistic, but true and Something you can't really argue with, especially because physically, technically, and right in front of him, that's exactly what's happening. Like, it is. Screams into silence. Yeah. It's shocking. It's jarring. It's ridiculous. It's incredible. It's real. You know, he he does make kind of the comment about them, whether whether they're being pushed out of the ship or sucked out of the ship, it doesn't make a difference. They die either way. You know, like, that's that's the point of this. Like... Yeah, the physics works this way. You'd think it works the other way, but it doesn't. And then says, doesn't matter. They die. It doesn't matter how mm-hmm. they die. They're dead. And I mean, it doesn't matter if they're screaming or they're they're 
stoic going out of the out of the hole pretty soon it doesn't matter anyway yep yeah it's it's a bad time Mm -hmm. for those fuckers i mean folks um well i mean they are the enemy true true the the other part of this and you know darrow's constantly reminding himself of that too throughout this section he's like reminder there's still pieces of shit reminder there's still golds like He's but it's not necessarily the golds that are dying. Right, right. He's that's, also that's the part that's fucking him up. Yeah. I think. Yep. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting too, right after that scene we just talked about, you know, they close they close the door, the golds and obsidians are able to take it, except for the ones who like hold their breaths and their lungs explode and some of the like other oranges and stuff like that have severe reactions or they start to suffocate grabbing their throat. Because it's not like the the hull or the front of the bridge of the ship is going to immediately pressurize and fill with oxygen suddenly when it's, you know, when the vacuum's cut off. Yeah. It's going to take some time. Yeah. And so a lot of those colors die and a lot of the low colors are staring around. And this is the first time they really experienced death of yeah. war at the very least, like, ugh. but still like there, there are pinks that die, right? One pink woman vomits blood, his lungs exploding in his chest because he tried to hold his breath. You know, it's like, ugh. but yeah. And then, you know, more fighting happens, right? And on 189, the line that got me this time was, uh, we're, we're men of metal fighting disorganized men of flesh, like steel fists punching the inside of a watermelon. I've never killed men with so little regard. <laughs> uh, it makes me want to punch a watermelon to see what it feels like. <laughs> Jesus, you need the steel fist, but yes. like, Well, I mean... No, I don't think I do. I think I just need a, an overripe watermelon. It'll feel the same. <laughs> Probably true. Just mushy messes, you know, like, yeah. and especially like sticky, gooey, red, pink splatter. Yeah. But people. Yes, but people, <laughs> Crossland. Yes. That was yeah. the point we were trying to make. Right, right. That was, that was, the, that was the metaphor. I get, I get it. Yep. Mm-hmm. the golds melt in their armor from the pulse blast from Sephiroth too like oh <laughs> darrow casually reminds himself that he is the reaper you know whatever doubts i had in myself fall away and i feel the stain creeping up over my soul different yeah. kind of stain i just mm-hmm. i want more of his sickle razor mm-hmm. the sickle shaped razor like i want more of that that yeah. hasn't happened again since uh beginning of this book right Cassius, since I think the duel with Cassius. Yeah. Because that's how you like. Oh, uh, is that it? Yep. Yeah, that, that was it. Yep, 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 yep. I want more of that. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely it's good to like play into that stereotype of that character form. I, I really enjoy that for Darrow. I'm just wondering, like, does that expose him a little bit? Mm-hmm. Knowing that that's a tool used by Reds and knowing that the Sons of Ares are mostly born out of the red area or the red society does leaning into that character intentionally or not give him away a little bit. i don't know do you think it does i think it could i i think it's interesting that nobody's commented on it yet other than the sovereign and she didn't explicitly comment on it but i'm i i'd be i'd be surprised if that wasn't part of her reasoning for interrogating him about the sons of Ares as far as background information goes. I can, I can definitely see that. I think the other interesting part of this too is, um, you know, the, the original sickle that he had, not a, not a sling blade itself, but a sickle was from house Ares. It was one of their weapons Mm -hmm. that he, you know, stole effectively in combat. It it was, it was the same tool. 
They call yeah. it a sickle, but it, it's the same as the sling blade that he used. Like it's just a different name, right? Um, right. All, all that I'm saying is that ultimately, like that is the symbol is from the institute and those hollow tapes more than it is, yeah. You know the rest of it, but him personally attaching himself to it and leaning into that character, it, it hasn't been subtle. No, I just think it's good branding. Daryl oh, has is. great marketing Absol- awareness. Absolutely. But the fact that it is something directly connected to its past. I can't believe you didn't laugh at that. <laughs> or like at least stumble over it. Jesus Christ. Brand awareness, marketing. Okay. I was smiling. Right. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> anyway. I, but you're saying it's, to, it's to, so it's To so say that nose. anything is can be taken as a coincidence in this society, I think is naive. That's fair. That's fair. There have been a number think, of things yeah. that have been shown to play out that way. Yeah, I, I think I think he knows that too. Or so you're should. saying that he's like not using it as often because he doesn't want to play into it too much. I, I think that's probably part of it. But I, I'd like an actual description of his thoughts on it. I dig. So we move on from them like claiming the ship, obviously, to talking and like dethroning the blue. That was in charge, um, not actually killing them, of course, but kind of having to think on his feet about everything that's going on because the golds are starting to break up into squads and make their way for the bridge. Right. So Darrow Mm -hmm. settles on the best solution being to give a speech about lessons that he learned at the Academy. The first lesson is, is when you take an enemy ship, you immediately vent it. All ships are designed to be vented because they never know when shit like that's going to happen. Right. So they'd rather that have he, the option to vent out. He all does this. He people. does this while talking to the entire ship, doesn't he? Oh yeah, he's talking to the entire ship. He's announcing this to everyone. Like, th- this is this is out loud and broadcasting. So he he just runs through you know House of Augustus societal rules of naval warfare that your lives are mine. I'm sorry for that because that means you will all likely die. <laughs> Before before we move on from this page to the next or what have you, I do need to acknowledge the obvious, um, which is the renaming of the ship from the Vanguard to Pax, which yep. is a, a nice, a great tribute. It is. And makes total sense. It is the biggest, baddest ship in the Armada. Mm-hmm. He just picked the big one. He's like, fuck it. We ball. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. So the quote that you liked. Oh, so he's he's talking to everybody and he's saying uh, he's talking about how everybody is trained for something like navigation, repair, martial combat, blah, blah, blah. My vocation is conquest. They teach us it in school and in school, they instructed me on the proper method of invading, seizing and possessing an enemy warship after one is uh After one has captured the bridge of an enemy-held vessel, the procedure taught to us is simple. We vent the ship. And then it goes into Severo opening up a hidden console that's only accessible to golds and basically, like, arming a a system that will open up every single outdoor port to just suck everything out. Um, And the quote that I love so much is because of the way the, the blues are reacting is it's like going into a man's kitchen and showing him a nuclear bomb hidden under his sink. Like, yeah, they are so in tune with every bit of technology on that bridge. And so in tune in, in, in the most technical and literal sense, like they are 
literally plugging themselves into the bridge and they had no idea that that existed it's so fucking cool (laughs) it's so cool yeah we like that's that's why it's important especially in the previous chapter to build up the blues and like have an understanding because it lends weight in this moment where it's like how the fuck didn't we know about that why were we never told and it's because otherwise you might have the option of mutiny Mm -hmm. but instead Um, he's kind of like counter using it is it now or is it later or was it earlier or was it later? I think it's later on, but he, he talks about making a mental note of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's when he's in the lower levels of the ship and he makes a mental note of the orange run like consoles. And he's like, I wonder what would happen if an orange overloaded this console, mm-hmm. this panel. Like he's, he's so good at like seeing vulnerabilities and he has the unique sort of exposure of having both the experience as a red and as a gold to know like the ins and outs of how things work and then the why things are built that way. And those two together give him the unique sort of visualization of if I were in that situation, how would I take this down? And that's not something that's necessarily able to cross most people's minds in the lower colors, like societies. I think it also speaks to like an error of like there's a complicit nature here at play too, right? Mm -hmm. Where or complacent, not complicit, um, where the colors, the lower colors have become kind of complacent in their station because they're taught, abused. And as we learn later, like even those who rose up almost successfully, the closest ever, they were fucking killed. An entire generation was killed. They were shipped to poles. They were given a false religion. They weren't allowed to like touch each other in any context outside of sex to reproduce or killing people or like that's that's it. Like it's just wow. Yeah. So I mean like there's also this like I don't know if the other colors are fully aware of that story. Maybe they no, probably of course they're are. Not. No. I, no, they're not. I think I think they might be. I, I would highly doubt that. Probably I would really I, I would really doubt that any information on any of the other colors are given to anybody. That's fair. That's fair. Regardless, I think it speaks to, though, like the obsidians definitely know. You know, they might have killed a generation, but there are obviously those obsidians who are aware, but have been misled and taught by religion, you know, why this happened. Right. But that so was also hundreds of years ago. Yeah, like 700 years ago. So, so like it like becomes the, more are, and more like legend. It, yeah, it's legend. It's folklore. Yep. It's right. Right, and golds are gods to them. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm getting at is like it they definitely are aware and that generational knowledge is passed down, but it's so far off. It's it's like us to the Iliad at this point. Right. Yeah, it's impossible to tell if it's true or not, really. And yeah, I, so it's hard to hard to know if it matters. Also, yeah, whether true. or not it impacts. Right. I, I think that that's all very interesting. I do really like that the mutiny actually works, you know, and that they actually do start killing the golds on the ship. Obviously, some of the golds get cleaved through all of the low colors. There is such a good quote somewhere in this. And all it made me think of is libertarianism. (laughs) Of course, the spark of individuality. I can't Mm. remember where that quote is. I think it's in the Fire Blossom chapter. So moving back to it. We, we get all of the like crazy killing of golds in the ship and the banter after the speech is totally giggle worthy, you know, between he and Severo <laughs> smooth as gravel dipshit, you know, slide yeah. off. You did threaten to vent them into space. It's not democratic. Like, it's very, very <laughs> autocratic. 
<laughs> Autocratic democracy doesn't count, I think. Yeah, super yeah. funny. Smooth as gravel dipshit. Um, just just great. Great little banter there. Yeah, exactly. Like every Everything that Severo says in this, just while on this conquest, is so dripping with humor. It's something along the lines of, uh, oh, I like being big. <laughs> where, yeah. where he's like trying to boss people around mm-hmm. despite mm-hmm. being just he's a tiny gold but yeah in this he's bigger than pretty much any gold that's ever lived yeah it, and i mean star shells are are big they're cool yeah you're you're they, like a super duper cool. human not that they're not already super duper humans right so uh there are a ton of people trying to break into the bridge they're starting to burn their way in four gold six obsidians ten grays load their weapons yeah. so this, this is another so something I remember saying in I think the very first episode when we're talking about the first uh, first chapter or the first mm-hmm. section of Red Rising, where I'm like, I want more description of the claw drill because like it sounds so cool and there's no description of how it actually works or looks or anything. And this heat drill is the same way. I want more description of how this heat drill works and what it looks like and how it's operated. And like how it bores through metal. That's fair. It's fair. I think it's pretty clear though. Like it just does. No, it's not clear. <laughs> it's not I clear. Mean, to, I know the the result of it, but I don't know like what the mechanism is. What the actual like drill tip looks like. Is it is it energy? Is it actual metal? Is it spinning? Is it like how does it work? And what does it look like and how is it held and operated and maneuvered? Mm-hmm. That's fair. I think part of the there, there are two two things that I still hold to that comment that thought that statement is that there a we're inhabiting Darrow's perspective. So it's not strange. It doesn't really need description because it's no, not but, out of the but ordinary. They, they look at it through the hollow um, cam as well. Yeah, but he knows that it's a heat drill. So he doesn't like I know what a drill is. Do I need to explain to you what a drill is? What Maybe. a regular drill is. At that point, I might, but Darrow doesn't need an explanation because he knows. So I think that's that is something that like first person mm. gives the room for. I okay. do agree that it's wanting. I think that's a great place for adaptation, though. That's like true. that's obviously a visual remedy, right? I, I totally, I totally see what you're saying. I just also think that like it fits. That's it's fair and it's fine, and there's enough action going on around it that like it wasn't. A sticking point for me like it was with the claw drill so that's um, that would be my second point is i feel like if you got too descriptive here it would break the flow of action that is very clearly this rising tension of this giant beast running down this hallway yeah <laughs> but again <laughs> the go ahead no no you're that's true i said i think i said giant blue but i meant no i said you beast. said giant beast um a calm light suddenly blinks on on a console near me. Instinctively, I answer. A voice like thunder sends tremors through my bones. There is no visual. Can you hear me? It asks. The text is bolded. Yes. That was the coolest fucking thing. <laughs> it was so cool. I can. This, this man's... Well, I mean, I'm giving it away. Not that you don't already know. But the, the fact that Rocknar's text is all bolded is so fucking cool and not something that i've ever seen before in text yeah the only examples that i can think of are particularly um like mind building melding melting things in fiction 
like meant to be intentionally trippy where like things will be bolded, italicized and then plain font to like screw your brain up as you're reading it. But this is totally meant for emphasis because he's on a completely different planet of talking to people. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Yeah. he speaks in short sentences for the most part. Yes. (laughs) I I love I love the comment here. (laughs) I flew in through the bridge alone from the abyss with a companion. I will come to meet you and your companion, Godchild. And the blues are like shitting themselves. <laughs> yeah. It's. Oh, that was so cool. That was so, so cool. Also, as a note, I read through this and then just while working, listened to it in the uh, audiobook. Very, very well done. As always. But that yeah. audiobook, the, the Rocknar voice in the audiobook is very well done. <laughs> Yeah, if we even sold at least like 10 copies of the audiobook oh, for Audible God. at this point, I would be so pissed because it's, he's so good. It, it, I I want to look up. I, I feel like I've talked to you about this before and maybe on air, but I want to just whatever he's narrated or read. I want to get those books. I think I've specifically told you that I blindly bought a book that I had like not even you read have. more than I the synopsis. Yeah, I think and it was good because that. you know what? He can make anything sound like honey. And it's amazing. It's the characters all having different accents and voices. And like he he makes it a production that almost sounds like multiple people. It's really well done and very, very cool. Yeah, it's it's honestly like flat out incredible. Absolutely love it, um, especially his Ragnar voice. Uh, what What is his name again? Just for... Ragnar Valaris. No, 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 no. The narrator, the reader. Oh, uh, the Tim Gerard Reynolds. Tim Gerard Reynolds. All right. Um, Tim yeah, Gerard I will, I will look him up and literally listen to anything he has to say. Because anywhere. He's that good. Yeah. It's it's absolutely insane. And Pierce's mm-hmm. Brown, Pierce Brown's like pros just lends to it, which is awesome. Yeah. So uh, we, get, we get our description about this fucking wrecking ball running down the hallway. You know, literally looking at a blade or a weapon made of flesh. Like, that's what he was staring at. This is a creature that dogs would flee, that cats would hiss at. One that should never exist on any level above the first tier of hell. He smashes into the kill squad from behind with two pulsing white iron blades that extend out of his armor three feet from his hands. The grays he simply runs through, crushing them into the walls with his shoulders, splintering their bones. Then he starts the real killing. It's so savage. I have to look away. Yeah. Bull. That Darrow has to look away from anything. I think we talked about this earlier, but the last gold that's left. Then he grabs her by the helmet, her golden armor glittering under the hall's lights. She tries to escape, tries to scramble away, but like a lion with a hyena in its jaws, he needs simply squeeze. When she is gone, he lays her gently on the ground, tender now that he's brought her a good death. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they're watching that through the heat drill hole you know like that no 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 they're i i i assumed they were watching it through the hollow cam i think that they start on the hollow cam but i think they eventually turn around to the drill at least that's okay. through the door that's what i imagined like that's, looking at the I door mean, and that seeing makes, the that mess makes sense because especially the next hole. sentence which is several involuntarily steps away from the door yeah it's it's terrifying this is a nightmare <laughs> it's very clearly terrifying i as as we've talked about before it's incredible we get a lot of like history here as well about the stained and the dark revolt and we also get all of the family for clarity's sake Mm -hmm. the stained are a special sect of obsidian correct 
Yes. Yep. Which come from very specific outer rim planets at their poles following Norse mythology. I don't think it's just outer rim planets. I think it's just people on the poles. Okay. Yeah, it gave their race the poles of planets. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's not specifically, but basically they just let them live on the poles of each, you know, planet, moon, everything like that that's cold. Mm-hmm. That's where they've been cursed from their Fuck. uprising. Fucking terrifying. Yeah, fucking crazy beasts. They would have killed them off if they weren't useful, you know? Yeah. They give them the Norse religion, which is great and incredible and plays into it. We get, um, I find it really interesting that we do get so many titles. Like there's a, there's a pride that kind of comes with the sort of Norseness of them where everyone mm-hmm. has like these earned titles. You know, even yes. disdained is earned. Um, but Elias Snow Sparrow of the Valkyrie Spires, north of the Dragon Spine, south of Fallen City, where the winged horror flies, brother of Sephi the Quiet, breaker of Thanos, which once stood by the water, and I make you an offering of stains. Stains. Ugh. And he refers to the golds as sunborn, or godchild, which is interesting. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> that chapter is so good. And that's that's a chapter. Like that, there's so much that happens there. Bold the uh, China shop all the way to Ragnar. Well, but also like it gets into a little bit of sort of sneaky thinking within Ragnar's mind as far as what was it? A bureaucratic loophole that he refers to it as. Yeah, basically where he hasn't been given yet, given his stains yet to uh, the Julii because he was the Ash Lords. Yeah, I bore the mark of the Ash Lord. And was pre- was to be presented as a gift with this great vessel to the family Julii. But you took this, this vessel, and so you have taken me. Yep. So he uses that as justification for killing whoever he was, whoever his charges were, which makes sense. I think this is a, around here is where that comment I talked about earlier was the uh, spark of individuality. Maybe it's even the next chapter. It it is the next chapter. I think it's ah. the next chapter. Yeah. But it's with it's with the blues, right? So that's yep. that kind yep, of yep, yep, mentality, yep. which makes uh, sense. No, 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 no. It's with the reds, the reds and the oranges that are running with Rockner oh, to yeah. the to the to the hangar. Yeah. So uh, Fire Blossom is chapter twenty-two, which is where we are moving now. We certainly get a new named blue in addition to a bunch of other blues as they fight kind of with each other over how good they are at various levels of physics and math. And kind of funny as they argue, the first one to step forward was the rude girl from earlier, Orion G. Aquari, which is interesting. And she kind of makes a name for herself right off the bat by being like, unlike all the other blues and actually having a sense of humor, even though she like delivers everything as like a flat punchline. But like a punchline, which is unlike anything we've seen from the blues. Yeah, it's, it's also funny because in that moment, right, we get like a moment where darrow breaks and he's like blues can be sarcastic (laughs) he's like that's internal it's like i didn't know that they could do that Mm -hmm. um which is just great you know and part of that where we are kind of told by someone a little bit later is because she barely passed her like emotional tests and so she's got yeah they they call her a docker as well which i took as being somebody who didn't actually like gain the ability to be on the ship by merit but just kind of found themselves on the ship and then rose on their own accord so i feel like maybe you're correct but i also feel like when i wasn't it wasn't explicitly explained yeah i i don't think that this is explicitly explained when i read docker i thought it was she's responsible for landing the ship and that's like her sole purpose she's like just here to be a docker like all she does is dock the ship to shit 
Uh, um, okay. Because I everyone think... is kind of strangely utilitarian in the blue class. Okay. I can I can see that as a reasonable uh, explanation for that term. Yeah. I don't know if I'd agree with it, though. I don't, yeah, I don't think it's it's fully explained, but it's definitely, definitely interesting. Yeah. So uh, Orion ends up getting chosen. She'll make a fun captain for Darrow. Very exciting. Got all kinds of character to her. Also, Severo's line. I like the rude one after she punches the other dude for <laughs> insulting her. Um, yep. It's great. You know, yeah. it's, it's funny. Uh, calls, I think it calls him uh, boy and then Lord boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they're full of batshit, Dominus. I am not full of batshit, which is yep. great. Um, I think it's also a good time to bring up now that we've seen, I think, enough of them sort of the surname quality or like the mid name quality with all these different characters. Mm-hmm. So going forward, I think they're mostly identified, but you can also like call out certain characters by their name and tell their color, or be reminded of their color by their sort of middle name. Right. Right. So like Orion G Aquari, um, Quicksilver is a U or a G for silver copper. There was a copper early, way on or earlier. Um, that had a CU in between his name, AU obviously for gold, right? G, XE for blue, etc. Yeah, all from the uh, periodic table for those who didn't pick that up. Hmm. Hmm. I'm curious why they cho- chose G, like Xenon, instead of Cobalt for the blues. But does does Xenon glow blue? It does when you run okay. current through it. Yeah. Gotcha. That makes more yeah. sense then. And the other part of that that I would say is the latter part of what I said, which is when you run current through it and because they're like plugged into each other, there's the Mm, nature of current. There you go. So, yep. And then you throw in like the blue, the waves, the ocean, the black ocean of the whole thing. It's all like, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, how did you wrap up a theme so tightly with two fucking letters? (laughs) (laughs) Like, way to go, dude. Yep. Good work. Um, we do we do also get a little bit of background of the blues in general here too, wherein they're basically sharing everything like we talked about because they're space boat people, which is funny. I don't know. I kind of giggled at it. I did too. They're they're not pirates, but they're like the crew. They're like part of the ship, part of the crew, kind of pi- like that that kind of pirate of the Caribbean. I don't know. Yeah, kind of. They're they're like genetically designed to be communal. Mm-hmm. and uh non-combative yeah which is why it's funny when orion is combative it's great she's a great character here mm-hmm. but uh, i mean she she's rocked the boat from birth in that they were expecting a boy with the name orion yeah that is kind of funny it's it's definitely interesting you know and then they just kept the name gave it gave it to her anyway so i don't i, I, don't, I, I, I got the feeling that the name was chosen and decided and written in the books and they couldn't change it from there. Probably true. Mm-hmm. It's just down on paper, or they weren't. They weren't going to because it's like, oh, this is just the will of things. This is how it is, right? And it doesn't really matter because they're blues and they don't really care about anything. Mm, yeah, that's true too. So Darrow's speech out into space, though, post picking the captain, is just fascinating. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got this sort of grandness to it, where he proclaims everything that happened on Loon Luna because no one would have known. Uh, about any of the going-ons of Octavia trying to kill House Augustus, declares that he took the ship, basically says, pick a fucking side, and starts shooting ships that he knows are on the other side. Yep. Which is great. (laughs) 
Man, there's so much death here. It's so good. Mm-hmm. It's so good. So we do get finally your line on 202, which is about the oranges and whatnot, thinking about airing yes. on the rebellion. It is there, even if you never see it till the end, that spark of indi- individuality of freedom. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and maybe maybe calling it libertarian is a little bit reading into myself a little bit too much. But in a society where everybody is forced to act com- act communally and act strictly in the greatest good of the society itself, suppress the individual desires and wants and needs and strictly grind for society. Grind Those for feelings, goals. Let's, let's be real. Well, it's for yeah. goals. Well, yeah. yes. it Ultimately, yes. But that's not technically what they're told. Yeah. Right. And not technically like, what they're doing it for. Sure. In their in their minds, they're doing it for the entire society as a whole. But whether or not that's accurate doesn't matter. All that matters is what's presented to them and how they're being brainwashed into acting. But regardless of how deep that brainwashing is, they're in in this case, as Darrow's saying, the individuality and the the desire for individual freedom and being unique and thinking for yourself is always going to shine through in dire circumstances. True. And I think that's part of the reason that he points it out too, is that in the dire circumstances, because they've been given this option, they see this as opposed to just standing at their stations like they might have otherwise. You know, with the exception of grays earlier, which are, you know, a mid-color all told, um, those that's those are really the only other people we've really seen fight for their life. I mean, and that's they're, because they're, they're soldiers they're protecting low, others. Right? Let's look at the beginning of the book again. No, I think they're mids. We've been over this. Um, nope. Uh, they're, they're oh, obsidian. Colors. Yep. Yep. Obsidian is low. Grays are mid. I always think of obsidian as higher than gray for some reason. Yeah, it's because they're right next to golds all the time. You know, like they're with golds, but they're strictly there as bodyguards. So are grays, but they're like police officers. They're barely. Or soldiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So like that That said, though, they're, they're mid colors, which is good. Interesting. So the speech has a grand tone, obviously, really kind of digs in the heels of the Civil War. The Stork lands, as we had talked about, there's beautiful war as Orion opens up broadsides and other ships and just fucking blows them out of the sky. You know, it's beautiful, sharing away metal and men only to carry on and smash into the hulls and shields of the same men of war that launched the leechcraft. It's just great. Mm -hmm. It just has this epic sort of tone to it, and it's awesome and wonderful. Can't stop ranting about how good the section is there's just so much action it's so hard to like get into anything outside of the crazy Mm -hmm. and and it's so in depth of like oh this the ship is the pride of the armada because of not only the engineering that went into building it but also the crew that staffs it Mm -hmm. and for that reason darrow doesn't vent it like there's there's so many layers that all intertwine Mm -hmm. um as to why this is such an important ship yeah (laughs) it's so well done it's just incredible it's simultaneously like a long description of of what's happening and also so much shorter than it could have been with with a lesser author i think yeah i feel like you'd have the tendency to like draw this out really and i think that's where i was getting to earlier where self-editing out something like describing the thing that cuts open the door is necessary in something like this because there's so much else that's more important Mm -hmm. than the saw that's cutting through the door while yeah. it's cool and it's definitely relevant and helps build the world, 
I mean, I openly admit that this is just my curiosity. I got into a similar discussion with one of our friends about the way that guns are described in science fiction in general. And I like I was like, yeah, it's it's important, but it's not defining. Mm. And he's like, no, it's defining. And I was like, okay, all right, that's that's you do. I could make both arguments. I mean, yes, I could also make both arguments, but I don't think it's poignant to do so. Because you can assume certain things that make it make sense true yeah yeah now sometimes right. they get more descriptive and that's that's a good thing too so i i won't I, I mean both have their merits anyway so i also like speaking of kind of the meta sci-fi story shit right there's a dig at a lot of other you know modern science fiction stories that happens here which is that after they actually do get hit with blast on the side of their 700 year old ship our equipment does not spark wiring does not fall from overhead compartments the ship is the pinnacle of 700 years of design like yeah that doesn't happen like all of a sudden like sparks don't just fly on the bridge because somewhere else <laughs> something got hit <laughs> this isn't the starship enterprise mm-hmm. you're not gonna see bullshit like that but i mean i can totally understand what he's making digs at there i feel like are mostly film. And you, you kind of need the visual and auditory feedback of something happening and a negative reaction to it in order to make a compelling film-based narrative. Yes, yeah. I, I don't also think that he's necessarily strictly digging at it. I think he's maybe just paying homage to it. Yeah, I fair. am digging that's at fair. it, though, because I understand it. it. It was a practical effect to explain things when CGI was bad and you couldn't do that in other ways, right? You couldn't show that the ship was being damaged without a really expensive shot that still looked like shit versus having, you know, back in the sixties wires drop out of the ceiling and the whole stage shake and everyone and, kind of fall and over a, and a fountain of sparks coming from yep. the, uh, the monitor. On the bridge. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, and so I think he's like, you know, it's, it's a bit goofy that some of that stuff happens, but also I think he's, he's just kind of nodding his head to it. I'm more pointing it out as I think it's, I, I like to think of it as a dig because <laughs> fuck you. Um, all right all right settle victor (laughs) victory victory is at hand darrow basically wins you know it's naval detritus as the bodies of men and women float behind the vessel you know the cracked and punctured ships some are still alive but will soon freeze or suffocate more dead in my path how many will it take and i think that gets back to kind of the the core of what you're talking about with all the various death and i think especially the other colors Mm -hmm. the other colors I really want to know what's what's going on in that head of Darrow's there. Like I, what do you I mean? know, a, I know a little bit, and we, we we know a little bit about how he feels about the death of low colors and how much it hurts him. But he seems to kind of put that aside in these areas, and I think he kind of needs to, and I think it makes sense to. But that wasn't really mentioned much. Yeah, so I don't think it's mentioned in the moment. And I think that speaks to what you're saying, where he's kind of like keeping focus into the task at hand, which is to mm-hmm. make sure that his friends are safe, make sure everyone made it on. His future in House Augustus is secured through Nero's safety. Could have been a joke about Mustang there, too. But, you know, either way. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about a joke, but. A yeah, maybe a direct, direct plug. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, just making sure that like his future is safe. And then later, you know, at the end of 23, he is restless and cannot sleep because he is thinking about all of the death and the bodies and the colors. So I think that there I think that there are elements of that. But his focus doesn't drift there until he has time to finally slow down. Yeah, he's got to he's got to take the time to process it. But I, I had kind of forgotten about that. He does take the time to process it later. So. 
Yeah, it does. It does happen, you know, and it, he does have kind of he does say it in the moment where he just recognizes it as detritus. You know, it's just drift. It's just dirt. And then he starts to think about and focus on the dirt. He did see earlier one of the greys that he saved on his academy vessel, you know, lead one of the uprisings to subdue a gold, which is cool. You know, cool little callback to that guy. Uh, yeah. 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 I was hoping that there'd be a little bit more of a conversation between the two of them. Um, I think that was seen over hollow, though. I don't think it was in person. It was. It was. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't in person. I was. I'm glad he didn't. Like, I'm glad they didn't meet up because we know this is a giant fucking ship. So, like, how could yeah, they? There are only so many coincidences. Yeah. And th- there's already, I feel like, too many going forward of them, like him meeting up with people that he wants to have conversations with. But I think it would have been, it would have been cool to have even a passing, like, nod between the two of them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think everyone. Unnecessary. Ever- and I think probably better that it doesn't exist. Yes. Yeah, I I do agree with you. I think that this is all I think all the conversations that happen for the rest of this are very direct and have have intentions where he's pointed and aimed in a direction to have a conversation, not necessarily of his own, you know, volition. I'd say there are two sort of surprises, but they aren't even surprises fully. Anyway, so to wrap up this chapter, we're almost there. Um, Because Pierce can't let us ride out that high for too long, be too happy, we get confirmation from a very sad roke that Quinn is dead. It's just sort of in his bitter gaze. Oof. (laughs) Yeah, oof. Oof is right. Um, I, I, I really did like the conversation that immediately followed between Darrow and the Jackal. Like, what happened? She died. What, like... What do you what do you want from me? She died. I tried my best. Yeah. You can't save everybody. Right. And then he's like, of course you did. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy. And um, he also talks. So about- I, I, I do want to ask you that. Um, and I know like you're usually the one answering or like asking questions. But the first time you read this, did you believe the jackal in that moment where he said he tried his best? Um, I think I do. I think I believe yeah. him. I have no reason not to believe him, but also I have all the reason in the world not to believe him. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any specific reason that at this point the Jackal might be looking at stripping Darrow of allies. If he was, I think he would probably look higher, you know, like he would look for accidental ways to kill other this people. This takes out Roke, though. Kinda. I mean, like it puts him into an emotional net. And also, this is this is not a situation that the Jackal kind of orchestrated it's a situation mm-hmm. that fell into the jackal's lap like yep do do i trust him to act in a way that is truthful and honest and in the best interest of whoever he's trying to save this in this case quinn now i don't know you don't, I don't know i don't know um i, I was going I, to ask what you thought but that's it I, I feel like there's always so much with the jackal that is unsaid and shady and shifty and we get more into that later on with with mustang and his her conversation with darrow um which i know we'll have some pretty extensive conversations about because that's an info bomb too but ultimately like i can't bring myself to outright trust him to be truthful it's definitely a fine line that's walked because it seems like he was trying to save her. We get the impression that he was, but everything that we know about the Jackal is manipulation, manipulation, manipulation. Yeah. So, and he could have been manipulating to save to like earn or curry favor too. Like that's the other part of it. Yeah. You know, 
And that seems like the path of least resistance to gaining favor and also the least negative outcomes that we that could come. Like what what positive outcome happens for letting Quinn die unless something very very specific it seems unlogical like illogical and short-sighted if that was the case. So, I'm inclined to believe that he actually tried, but I can't necessarily tr- like take him at his word yet. Yeah. I'd uh I'd agree. I think that's a good point. So the jackal is a tough cookie to crack, and we uh, will get a little bit more at the end of this entire part on him. Um, But to wrap up this chapter, the end of this chapter kind of feels like it's kind of full circle, like not the specific end of the text here, but the commentary throughout the section feels kind of full circle with the Institute and what he learned there and the way that, you know, even Mustang talks about it in two chapters being like, we didn't want to build an army of slaves, but of like friends and of people who wanted to fight with us. Um, and it feels like Darrow using the same kind of tactics here, did that and split the colors and got kind of a practice dry run on how that yeah. might work. Yeah, he did. He got almost a simulation of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's my insight that I pulled from from on this read is it feels like it's a it's a testing ground for, you know, what could be done, what could be accomplished. And I'm hmm, I'm curious how Darrow takes that. Does does that build his ego and drop his guard a little bit going forward? Like this went well or does it does it motivate him more? Like there were some errors there like we could iron that out and we're going to have even less of a margin of error when doing this for real. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So moving into the next chapter, aptly titled trust, it's just right off the bat, you know, Severo, we get it. We get a deeper side of Severo reflecting on his relationship with Quinn, you know, his friendship with Quinn. And it's just, it's completely different from the biting shitlord comments. It's truly like gravelly commentary where it feels like he's kind of growling at Darrow, you know, in like the, the kind of like horrible bad way, like just angry at him, Yeah, you know? And it, it feels like it also leads into the rest of this conversation that he then later has with, with Darrow. He just totally jumps down his throat. Right. Uh, but also is just kind of venting. Yeah. Like, it's not in any way that really puts blame on Darrow, even though maybe it probably could be reasonably. And in Roke's mind, definitely Darrow's fault. Um, Severo is just kind of hurt and needs a friend to talk about it with is kind of how it comes across. Yeah. And talks about kind of like and especially the way that like Darrow talks about Quinn Severo fires back and is like, just like Pax, like in the same sort of sacrificial, you know, it's it's not about us anymore, like kind of way or you need to make it about us because you're kind of throwing bodies just to accomplish your quest. Right. So we get we get two really big notes here that are just huge, huge bombs. Right. Severo comes at him asking if he knows who sent him here like mustang he's like yeah mustang but like who who told me that i actually need to come back who told me to get the howlers and it's revealed that it's aries Mm -hmm. Uh, and particularly dancer but aries yes yep and we get we get for the first time since the first book our first actually the first time ever we get our first contact with aries but the first real contact with the sons of aries 
since like the first 150 pages of the first book because we find out that Harmony was leading a different cell of the Suns or maybe even you might classify them as like a separate terrorist group at this point. Yeah, it's a it's a there was a coup. Yeah, I think that's the best way to describe it. But um he is presented with a whisper gem which is apparently very very valuable that essentially makes a hologram of whoever's talking as a recording. Yeah, as like dusk. So it's like just like a dust and then it goes away after the first play, right? So it's just gone. Mhm. Which is which is cool because it's like based on a black light kind of technology. It's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, we we get like the holy grail of information for Darrow, right? We get the fact that Dancer's alive and seemingly not Ares. Harmony is working on her own, which is what you predicted uh, back in the first episode. So I am actually going to take a drink for you here. There we go. <sighs> um, and he must continue to work against the Pax Solaris. Those are kind of the three points of the conversation. Right. That that come out of this. You know, he does. He basically encourages the civil war before Darrow actually goes through with the civil war, which is interesting. Well, I mean, so chronologically, so we, we know this was recorded three months before Severo arrived, but he's listening to it, obviously, now after all of this has happened. So these were like yep. encouragement to continue on, and he has without that encouragement. So that's kind of, it's interesting to see, but it's also kind of cool yeah. in that way. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good way of like noting that down and kind of... You know, saying that Darrow is doing the right thing. You know, his head is to the grindstone and he's moving in the right direction, even on a three-month delay of communication. It's it's confirming that he is, his his morals are in line with what D- Dancer and Ares are actually striving for. Totally, totally. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's good. And then right after that bit with the Sons of Ares, Severo talks about the surgery that Darrow went through. Mm-hmm. Which means that he knows that he's a red. Yes. Yes, he does. And man, Darrow breaks down. He just yeah. balls about it. But I mean, wouldn't you too? Like, I, I definitely would. Have yeah, I mean, he pent up, kept those secrets for such a long time. Yeah, at this point, it's been like four years of holding that in and not telling anyone and also like becoming one with a society that you don't fully understand like yeah sure you can digitally consume all the books you want by literally drinking them and listening to them drinking an enhancer and then listening to them at like 10 times speed sure but that doesn't make you a part of the society and that's all that much more stressful for him to have survived all this time and not have gotten caught you know it's all just yeah but i mean severo as gruff and I mean, I mean, he's he's pretty rough around the edges, but be, despite all of that, he he seems to be genuinely on board and Darrow's friend. Yeah, and I I feel like it's very telling too that the only thing that Darrow can manage to react, you know, it's it's funny because Severo's kind of making a joke out of the information, but Darrow like literally breaks down and just starts melting, and the only words that he can manage to say are "You are my friend" as just a statement. And yeah. that's fantastic. But mm-hmm. and then immediately afterwards, Severo's like, "Of course, but only if you stop blubbering, man." <laughs> Still goals. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's just a good way of like breaking that tension, which mm. is good. It is. <laughs> he throws him the towels and he blows his nose into it. Like also hilarious. Those were for your eyes, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, they laugh together about it and everything else. So it's great. 
Um, and he also explains that he suspected something when he heard the bloody dam to Apollo when, mm-hmm. you know, they were in the air in the previous book fighting, which still which is a great scene. Which we figured. Yeah, right. We right, figured which is that a, was the case. A good, good guess off the bat. And, you know, he, he asks right off the bat, he's like, is this going to bother you? And he's like, a crotch bothers me. Bad fish bother me. Entitled dickweeds bother me. This, piss on it. <laughs> Again, piss. What? Theme of the books is piss. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's good. So <laughs> it's just, it's a fantastic end to this entire high emotional section for Severo to end it by saying, it feels... How do you say bloody damn good? And it's just like a nice mm-hmm. emotional resonance right there at the end. That was a sort of weird line for me because it felt less like low speak is just kind of trashy slang and more mm-hmm. like a separate language. The, the way he said that made it seem like he was never really exposed to that language at all. And I'm, I'm curious how that actually plays out within the society, within the gold society, rather. Do, do you see what I'm saying there? Yes. I don't feel like he's... Um, uh, so you're saying it as though it's it's like a different language, right? That, that's, how, that's how I it read it. It seems just like, like a it, different word. It feels like, how do you say, bloody damn good. Like, it... it <laughs> I think that's also why it's italicized specifically under Severo's voice is because it should have that kind of like rusty Irish quality to it. Okay. So maybe more of a, more of an accent thing rather than a, an actual like word thing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's much more uh, in my head at the very least an accent thing, especially with the reds being described that makes so more heavily sense. As, as Irish. Yeah. That makes yeah. more sense. Yeah. I was, and I, I was, I was trying to kind of grip that a little bit. Uh, but that makes total sense. That makes sense, especially listening to the audiobook. He kind of gives it like a little twang. So twang's mm-hmm. not the right word, but he gives it a little bit of a an accent. So we the obviously the name of the chapter comes to bear in its two different forms here as well. The first being trust earned from Severo by kind of volunteering his secret and actually telling the truth and trusting in him and confiding earned, in him. Earned by force. I mean, yes, yeah, <laughs> but if he would have lied, he probably would have died. So. Earned under duress. <laughs> sure, sure. But he trusts Severo enough to like completely tell him the truth. Right. Or at, at the very least admit the truth. And the second use of the word here in trust is his lack of trust in Victra's intentions, right? Yes. And still keeping his mouth shut even when pressed by Victra about the tension that's going on underneath him. And in all honesty, I don't have a whole lot more to say about this. I feel like it's just Victra being very flirtatious and Darrow effectively... Shutting it down. We do get a really good picture character, like picture of Victor's character here, you know, saying like she sacrificed her connections with her family to be here because she trusts him and she doesn't like her mother. She's made that abundantly clear. Yes. That she doesn't like her mom. Yes. And yes. But why point that out? Is she trying to make him feel like she has abandoned her? Is, is she using some sort of reverse psychology here? I feel like it's actually Darrow reading into it as reverse psychology. And okay. I think she's being pretty honest because she hasn't lied about anything. The only thing that's kind of sketchy about Victra, A, is that she's related to Antonia. So naturally she's sketchy and she talks about that being a problem all the time because Antonia is a, you know. And then the second part of that being like she did bring him to the jackal, right? Those are kind of the two bits where it's like, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Question marks. 
like she, she is a very capable, obviously intelligent, and clearly kind of conniving. Like she she knows how to maneuver within conversations and within societies, within slums of inner cities on the moon. Like she's shifty and doesn't doesn't try to pretend that she's not. I think she specifically isn't trying to be shifty though. So specifically on two eleven. Um, remember when Tactus discarded your violin because he was suspicious that you wanted something? Now you treat me the same way. Same as when I came to you in the garden on Luna. Is it too much to believe I'm your friend and care about you? She wrinkles her nose. You're making me emotional and I hate it. Um, and I do feel like she's like, there's parts of it that are playing into like her getting into his bed. But I think there's parts of that that are true. Yeah. Because she does suddenly like play it down when he finally like kind of drops it, you know? Right. No. After the you love women, but you do not enjoy us line. <laughs> right. That that was a good line, too. I think that there's a lot that could be said about her. And I think it's intentionally been kept kind of under a veil what her true intentions are. One, because Darrow doesn't know her true intentions. And two, because it's just kind of compelling. She it is. is. She is obviously the in the interim between when Mustang is the romantic counterpart to Darrow and when hopefully she comes back in Darrow's eyes. She's she's the she's the temptation. She is the I think he kind of sees her as a succubus at this point. Might might she be the sirens? The sire, sirens a good way to put it too. Might might this all be the Odyssey and he shot a bird at the beginning of the albatross maybe mm. what bird mm. now i'm just going back to the like two episodes ago when i talked about the no uh, what, rhyme what of the bird did Mariner. he write or he i guess i guess you could call the uh the ship like the ship that he impaled a bird and himself yep. the bullet yeah right the, the the sort of albatross to bear is actually a little bit different than that but yes i i do agree and i feel like she is sort of the siren in the odysseus metaphor which is also talked about here like the odyssey um by mustang literally in the next chapter is mentioned like literally name dropped or not name dropped but checked name checked so mm-hmm. um it does feel apt to bring that up to some degree Right. So he cuts the tension in the only way that he knows how, which is to say, uh, good night, sister, and kiss her on the brow and turn around and walk away, <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious. It's perfect. She it's good. does not take that well. Yeah, like, she, she does. She not. calls after him and like she does not take down that a little well. bit. Yeah, not at all. Um, I do find they're kind of they're like, let's start at square one here. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Yeah. 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 But it keeps going on. I could see it being sarcastic, too. I was thinking about that when I was reading it. Being playful about it, almost. And I know that's not, based on what's written here, that's not his intentions, but I could see it being almost a a playful sort of taunt towards her. Yeah, definitely. It is It is kind of, I. it, it kind of, maybe, maybe it's a taunt. I kind of see it. I, I don't. I don't think it is based on how it's written with his narration. I think it's also like, if but, you look from, back at page, but from her perspective without that. Insight, oh yes. Yeah. I could see that being a way to interpret it, mm-hmm. which yeah, just think, makes it more confusing and just makes her probably pursue him harder. So probably like, how do you, how do you win there? Yeah. How, how do you convey your point properly? In I, Darrow's shoes or in Victor's shoes? Yes. And I think that that's a difficult line to, for them to tow this whole time. 
Mm-hmm. I think that part of the interesting portion of the conversation is the part that happens in Darrow's head right before the goodnight sister kiss, which is, you know, seeing that she was vulnerable made all the difference um, in, yeah. in terms of him being able to kind of separate her from Antonia a little bit. Uh, which Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then we get the sleepless night where he's kind of wandering around pacing and cannot cannot sleep, goes to the gymnasium, does some workouts, still like not feeling it obviously like haunted by the soldiers that have died, you know, Mm. um, the oranges who worked. He also thinks about that overloaded panel idea, you know, right. That's where this was. Yep. Yep. Or this was goes into the mess hall because, you know, he decides to, and we hit chapter 24 bacon and eggs. Last one of the parts. Yes. Yep. So we get, there's, there's a decent amount of info dump and we do get a long conversation, but I think the first and most important part of this entire chapter, I mean, besides Mustang showing up and having a long conversation with her, is that I think we really get to the like core theme of the story of the first two books so far, you know? And Don't it's... Go fuck yourself. <laughs> it's, it's, it's cooks. Cooks are the big theme in this story. I mean, man, like cooks, like (laughs) we had to abduct a cook in the first one. This cook, we can barely understand. He makes too much food. Like clearly there's something wrong with them. You know, like first one, we're trying to rescue hope by abducting the cook from uncertain jaws of defeat. The second book so far, we're having trouble fitting in into society as it stands. And so we're fighting for a civil war and we got to figure out a way to understand the enemy so we can take it over. And that's exactly what they're having trouble with right here with this earthborn accented cook being right. hard to understand. So hear me out. First of all, um, <laughs> just so everybody knows, we have a sort of note, like uh, a Google Doc note that has all of the questions that Crossland's going to ask me so I can kind of prepare myself a little bit so you don't hear me say um and ah uh, and um and ah. Uh. And I do still say that, and most of the time Andrew cuts that out so it sounds a little bit better for me and for you. <laughs> um, 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 but you have no idea how hard I fucking rolled my eyes when I read that question <laughs> in the comments on the Cook's but also, that is ex- like I could see you being the sort of way too in depth English student in high school, writing an entire essay on the theme of cooks of this story. Like, <laughs> I, I think you could have written that. You could have written that essay, and I absolutely would have believed it. I think I just mouth spewed that essay for the most part. <laughs> in this essay, I will prove that chapter 24, Bacon and Eggs, is akin to the previous book's chapter. <laughs> I think I think you, just because you knew, you would know that that would prove that you actually read the book. <laughs> That's true. And you that- didn't just read the spark notes or the summary online. Like, I'm going to write this really weird esoteric essay on... <laughs> the value of cooks within the gold society. (laughs) (laughs) That's like exactly something that I would do. Yes, it it is exactly something he would have done. So I just had to point that out that it's hilarious, but fuck you. And I'm rolling my eyes, but it's a great question. Okay. Moving on from the cooks question, because I didn't really mean it until it comes up again. And then I'm going to get deeper in. It's going to keep coming up and you're (laughs) going to keep mentioning the cooks. I know it. Yeah, like we're never um, getting away from cooks, and I'm I'm all for it. But 
I will I will play the heel in that conversation. Yeah, you're going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> so the the whole interaction outside of the cook thing, you know, after we talk about the Earthborn accent and everything like that being hard to understand, which is interesting for the record, that an Earth accent is hard for them to understand. Is it? I mean, there's so many I, accents I on Earth that like you're talking about an entire planet and generalizing it, which is interesting. Yeah, but then, then again, the Iron Golds went down and generalized the entire planet physically. Generalized? So. You mean? God, yeah, <laughs> that's it's, that's fair. Also true. Good call. <laughs> the uh, so the whole interaction in this entire chapter between him and Mustang, the banter feels very natural. Um, mm-hmm. It feels obvious that they're kind of rekindling something. But I love the tirade that Mustang kind of turns on and throws, putting Darrow in his place after his kind of comments or like half comment about Cassius. It didn't even like fully escape his mouth before she started this, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, clearly this is something that she's wanted to talk about since, since the gala. Mm-hmm. I think she explicitly says that or yeah. very clear, very nearly explicitly says that. Yeah. I really like this line, you know, and she's specifically addressing that point about Cassius. You know, my heart does not make me my brain a fool. I sought out a relationship with Cassius for the same reason I let the sovereign think she was turning me against my father to protect my family. It's this whole thing where we find out a lot about her, um, which is kind of what we expected, you know, that she is a manipulator of sorts, but for her family. And she explains to Darrow that she thought that he was fundamentally different. And so she chose him instead of her brother who never chose her ever because he chose to save her life when, you know, she otherwise would have died in a moment. And that made all the difference. I mean, like, and everything else, just to make that point stronger, the quote right before, like butting up against what you just read was I'm not some frill-wearing tramp. I'm a genius. I say that because it's a fact. I'm smarter than any person you've ever met, except perhaps my twin. Like, she she knows what the fuck she's doing. And it is calculated, and it is sometimes cold when it needs to be. Probably yeah. less so than the Jackal. I think he's just kind of cold all the time. But when when need be, Mustang can be strictly, like, just cold and with purpose. And she is, you know, to Bingham's loving affection, easily the smartest character in the series. At the very least, the most logical minded. Mm. Um, not necessarily the most conniving, which I think maybe goes to her brother, right? Blues That's why might, she literally Blues says might it. might be more, more logical. Perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> Strategic, maybe, is what I meant. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's... This this entire thing is interesting. The line that I think foreshadows a lot of it. I there's so much of this dialogue. The entire section is worthy of a of a reread that we could do here on the podcast, but obviously we're not going to. Um, that was the strongest part, I think. The other bit that I like I is so. kind of nearer to the end, where it's you are not invincible, Darrow. I know you think you are, but one day you'll find out that you aren't as strong as you think you are, and you'll be alone, and I'll be alone, which yeah. feels bad. And I'll be alone is kind of what makes that less logical and more emotional because all of that could be said with entire, like strictly with logic and strictly with cold calculation, but then finishing it off with, and I'll be alone makes it so much more meaningful coming from her. 
Yeah, I, I think throughout the, like, if you consider her dialogue here like a normal curve or a mean curve, right? She's rising in tension on the front end where she's being cold and logical. And when she hits that midpoint, that peak, she starts to fall down onto the other side and, and revert to kind of some of the emotional feelings and thoughts, although she's not fully driven by them. You know, she she's clearly insinuating here, too, is that when he dies, she will still be alive because she plans and strategizes and doesn't fuck up, whereas he thinks that he's invincible and acts as such. She, like, fights for her survival in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, yeah, I think that there are different components there. But, yeah, it's, I mean, that's that's it. Mm-hmm. It's good. Um, the next line is yours. Yeah, so uh, this this line gave me fucking chills. Her like Mustang commenting on the Jackal. He is the monster they don't know how to write stories about. You cannot trust him. That is so bone-chillingly obscure. Mm-hmm. And it is throwing Darrow's understanding of the Jackal and our understanding of the Jackal into the abyss. And it, it, it's such a good description of what the fuck are we dealing with? Like, who... the it it is a hidden tentacle wrapping around my spinal cord hearing that it's so just terrifying i love it i love that description of him and the fact that it's coming from her twin or from his twin is even even more like gives it even more weight yeah she clearly thinks that he's up to something and we kind of know that he is yeah of course when is he not that true that's true that capstones our conversation on um, from Mustang's perspective, but I've got a question here that I think makes sense to ask now. Um, how do you think Mustang would react to Darrow being a red? Quick summary. Um, I think she'd accept it. I think it would take... No, I don't think it would. I think she would dig. I think she would dig and really ask him really in-depth questions about like what his motivations are and why he's here and what's going on. But I think she would accept it ultimately because, and I think, I think a, a good recent and relevant quote about that was uh, in this chapter when she's talking about the violets and how they have a tragically high suicide rate as opposed mm-hmm. to uh, the, vi- or, no, the roses. Pink- the, yeah, the rose, the pinks in the garden. The pinks in the garden. That was it. Yeah. Um, as opposed to on, um, um, not unoptimized. What what was the quote? Un, uh, yeah, it's it's basically unproductive or whatever. Yeah. whatever it was. Yeah, using the sort of emotionally driven term of uh, tragic to describe that, and all of the other things we know about Mustang. The fact that she already has a connection to Persephone in in the fact that she likes the song and sings it on a regular basis. Persephone being EO, obviously, but from Mustang's perspective, it's Persephone. Like there, there, there's so much compassion that she exhibits that no other golds really do. I think she above Severo even is someone I would expect to understand yeah and accept it that makes sense inefficient was the word that you were looking for inefficient okay yep found it um so 
we wrap up this chapter with kind of a couple of quick things from the jackal where he was waiting in Darrow's room for him to have a quick conversation well, about the circumstances. Of, first of all, that's from uh, Ragnar. There we go. Um, someone breathes inside. Theodora, <laughs> probably. She's my pink steward. You'll like her. Gold breath. I nod. Uh, also, gold breath isn't isn't bolded there because he's talking quieter. Anyway, like that that gives some some more insight into that character and what he's able to perceive. Yeah, and yeah. and what what sort of tool that Darrow now has at his disposal. But yeah, then it's like essentially a page and a half of Darrow with the jackal. Yeah, not even. It's like barely over a page. Yeah, it's like a page and a half. Okay, anyway. Um, I thought of a page as a double-sided thing. Does not matter. So it's a quick conversation adjusting the agreement between the Dackle and Jero now that circumstances have changed. Um, and it's kind of funny because the Augustans, you know, are constantly kind of, the Augustan twins are constantly plotting. Yeah, you know, brother and sister, obviously. Oh, of course. Being the focal points of this chapter. Bacon and eggs, you know? Yep. Um, which is Who, Who's bacon comment. and who's the eggs? Uh, Jackal cracks eggs and uh, Mustang likes bacon. So I'm going with that. Um, well, so now she does. She never did. She didn't, but then she ate it because it reminded of Darrow. Anyway. Okay. All right. <laughs> the the funny line. I'm here, trying to make though, a funny conversation about who's bacon. The funny eggs. line here. And you're is trying to the, make it serious. All right. The funny line here is the maintain social distance line. <laughs> yes, there's that. Is it's on two two two, and it feels prescient, <laughs> you know, as much as that's a thing. Yep i i recoiled at that a little bit <laughs> yeah i also did i was like "Ooh, ooh, that that shouldn't offend me it's such a it's two words in a sentence but now it's now it's got a some impact yeah some exactly. weird weight to it it's, it's so unexpected and wasn't probably the intention to have any sort of weight to that sentence at all but it drew all the focus of this like page for me yeah, after after the last year, it totally it totally tore me out of the story for a brief moment, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh no!" Um, yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely thought that that was interesting and funny. The final line of the chapter here, the final line of this entire part is, "What about the shipyards of Ganymede? And what on earth do you think he's plotting?" Mm-hmm. Darrow, pirate lord, pirate lord Darrow. I, I mean, it could work. I I think it'll work. I think Darrow is going to essentially acquire a fleet of mostly operational ships that with the crew on like he's going to cannibalize the crew on this flagship to essentially make an entire fleet operational. Oh, interesting. Pirate Darrow is real in your mind. Yes. Excellent. For those who don't know as well, Ganymede is a moon around Jupiter. It is one of the largest moons. It is the largest moon. It is it's the bigger ninth, than Mercury. The ninth largest planetary body in the solar system. Bigger than Mercury. Not as massive, but bigger, which is interesting. So the final mm-hmm. point that I want to talk about here is the opening quote of the next part, uh, which I think it's worth discussing the quote from the beginning here. When falls the iron rain, be brave. Be brave from Lornow Argos. What on Luna could he be talking about? So the Iron Golds are who dropped into Earth and conquered it, correct? Yes, the Iron Golds 
are those folks. And when I say dropped into earth, I mean literally dropped into earth. Seems I, I think to kind of imply something like that. Right? I, I I would assume that they are the iron rain. It'd be really interesting if there were a tool to get that done, wouldn't it be? It would be. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Do we, do we see that maybe earlier? I I think we did. Oh, I think we have. How interesting. Yeah. Hmm. The iron rain, man. It's so ominous. It's so fucking ominous. I just want to see it. Within these books so far, we've had Nero and we've had Lorne. Have we had anybody else? For like the quotes at the at the front of the parts of the book? That's a good question. Are you talking in this book specifically or all of the books? All of the books. I and think we sp- had Dancer and Uncle Nero oh, we did somewhere. It. We, yep, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But I think we did th- have this Nero is and Lorne. At least well. the second Lorne. Yep. If not the third. Mm-hmm. And we've had Nero at least once because one of them was um, Hicksunt Leonis. Um, I, we've mentioned it before. We mentioned it last episode, but I love, or a couple episodes ago, whatever it was. I love the fact that these quotes at the beginning of parts are attributed to fictional characters within this universe, as opposed to real quotes from real people that apply to the story going on around us. Mm Mm-hmm. Like it yeah. really increases the immersion. I feel like. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think it adds a sense of world building without, and it's kind of cheating in a way, you know, like I don't think it especially, is. Well, especially since it's first person, it's kind of cheating because mm. it's not absorbed through Darrow's perspective, but that's, that's neither here nor there. I think it's good and it's useful. And I it's mean, world th- think about, think about if they had, it's the a same, trick. It's the same cheating. book and a quote from, I don't know, Caesar. I would sooner not put quotes. I, yes. But would that be cheating? Um, if it was a real quote from a real human being in a science fiction novel? I feel like that's less immersive. Which yes, is what you're saying. That yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, but I'm I don't, not disagreeing. I don't, I don't I'm just saying it's cheating. cheating. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a trick to get you to invest into the world more. And to get to suck you in a little bit more. Okay. It's it's not cheating. No, I in, I, I can, the, I can like, I'm on your side on that. I don't, I don't I wouldn't classify it as cheating though. Yeah. Okay, we've got PJ's predictions. Ah uh, shit. Are you ready? These I'm are ready a rapid to be wrong fire all the time. These are rapid fire questions. Um so we're going to start with will things change now that Severo knows about Darrow? I think Darrow's going to kind of consult with him a lot more and make plans with several more, but I, I don't, I don't think their natural connection or their friendship is going to change much, especially knowing that for the entirety of the last several months, several has known about this and they've gone through and conducted themselves like they always have. Totally. I think it might change how they act with people externally, but between Severo and Darrow, I don't think that their connection will change. Sure. Okay, so with that, will Darrow tell other people, other howlers, about his real color, which we've kind of you alluded to a little bit? I don't think right now. I think he needs to kind of feel this out with Severo. 
Um, he, he's got to figure out what it feels like to make strategy with Severo, knowing that Severo knows his ultimate goal before he can kind of expand that and let other people in. He needs to, he needs to feel what collaboration within this space feels like first. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think for the time being, Severo is going to be the only one that knows. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, got that one. Now that Darrow knows about Harmony, what's he going to do about her? Hmm. I think he's going to find where she is and her entire band of um, traitors to the group and uh, let Ragnar run wild and turn them into jelly. <laughs> and he's going to watch. I think Darrow's going to watch that happen, smiling. Little red jelly. Little red jelly. That's yep. amazing. I, I'm. I, I think that's what's going to happen. Okay. Because I don't think. I don't think Harmony's ready to deal with the biggest stained that Darrow has ever seen or mm-hmm. heard of. Yeah, that seems to be <laughs> likely. Seems to be likely. Mm-hmm. Okay, so at what point does Roke confront Darrow, or does Darrow confront Roke? Which way do you think this goes? Darrow confronts Roke. Okay, Darrow confronts Roke. Roke has too much confusing confusion going on regarding the why did Darrow stab him and inject him with an unknown poisonous substance to knock him mm-hmm. out. Before the gala. There, there's just so much anger and confusion in Roke's head that I don't think he will have the ability to truly articulate what's going on and what he thinks about Darrow. I think Darrow is going to probably not have the right things to say, but I think he's going to take the initiative and and uh, approach Roke. Sure. And talk to him. Okay. So, Dar- so your answer was Darrow confronts Roke. So last question is Ganymede is a rim moon mentioned at the beginning of the next section, you know, or rather the end of that last section before conquer. Um, Do you think we head to the rim soon? And if so, do you think we might see Lorne again? Um, No, I don't think so. I think there there was a conversation between Darrow and Severo about who he could trust with this information. And I think any of the howlers that, Darrow and Severo have agreed can't be trusted with the information of Darrow being a red are going to be sent out as the kind of forward operation in scouting mm-hmm. the uh, the moon. Sure. Get them get away from the situation. But also, it, it's reasonable to, to think that Darrow is going to send howlers to do something important. Yep. So there's not going to be any sort of uh, question. Red, red flags thrown there if he sends them there. Um, yeah. And then, then there's no one to leak that information to those people that can't be trusted. Totally. Makes sense to me. All right. Those are the predictions. Anything else on this section? I just, I, I want to see more carnage. It was so cool. The, the action in this scene was so cool, but I just want more blood, more gore. Because despite everything, it, it was pretty clean. Like There was a lot of killing, but there was not a lot of gore. 
I mean, except for the like description of punching a watermelon, it's not like immediately gory, but it, it paints an image. It, it, it paints an image of gore, but it doesn't. It doesn't describe Darrow killing someone. It describes what Darrow thinks about what's happening while Golds are killing low colors. That's fair. That's fair. And I think you're gonna. We, get- we've, we've had we've had those experiences. We've had the really visceral, descriptive. Like think about think about the fight between uh Darrow and uh Julian. Like it was very intensely and explicitly described. And we yeah, haven't I feel we like haven't had that recently. We haven't gotten that in combat necessarily, but we did get that in like the pink vomiting up their lungs, like their lungs exploding, um, blood, all of that in those sections but that's not necessarily combat related it was really just a reaction to the atmosphere right but it, i mean it's still it's still gory in its own right true cool all right that is it for this week next week we're going to be reading through chapter 32 that'll bring us halfway through part three conquer again through chapter 32 through not until i know i was doing it the different way before we've got a calendar up on our website that you should be able to grab an image of put it on your phone whatever it should also be on twitter and instagram later this week and that's where we'll leave you for this week as well we're continuing to grow continue to refer us to your friends and family anyone who you think might be interested or who you think should read the book series give them a little little companion bit little think piece to listen and read along with Obviously, word of mouth is our number one way of growing. But if you don't have anybody to recommend us to, if you leave us a review on whatever podcatcher of choice that you've got, that helps us reach more people. If you follow us on social media, mostly Twitter and Instagram, that's always fun. We text each other back and forth anytime somebody interacts with us on on one of those social media accounts. Both of those are at Words Whiskey Pod on Instagram and on Twitter. As we mentioned before, we post we'll, we'll post anything from drinks that we've been making to uh, live thoughts about what we're reading to uh, just kind of bullshit that kind of goes along with the book that we're reading at the moment. We have fun with it, so yeah. uh, do that. If you do have questions or things that you want for us to address in the story, feel free to email us at wordsandwhiskeyshow at gmail.com. We appreciate each and every one of you, and thank you for listening. I love you so very much. Mm